Let us pray. Lord, I stretch my hands to thee. There's no other help I know. If you withdraw your hands from us, we have nowhere to go. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed us until we hunger no more. I decrease so that you may increase. I take a step back so that you may take a step forward. Take the scraps that I have in my hand. And like you've multiplied the loaves of bread and the fish in the Bible, feed the masses for the people who are here and the people who will be online listening to this, uh, these few words that I have to share. We thank you in advance. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. On May the eighteenth. Around 4 o'clock p.m., 2017, from about 4 o'clock to about 6, 6.05, my faith was put on trial. I told you last week um, that about a month ago I went through surgery. And it wasn't my desire to share with you all my surgery uh, during the conference, before the conference. Didn't want it to be a distraction. Um, but I wanted to make sure you learned about it after, you know, successfully we've gone through the things we needed to go through. And I didn't want you to know the severity of the surgery until after I was released. Uh, but I told you last week that um, the surgeons needed to uh, saw a certain area of my chest in order to enter it, in order to uh, get behind my thymus gland and remove, or get behind my sternum to remove my, my thymus gland. Um, I expressed on last week my profound appreciation uh, for each of your prayers, your emails, your thoughts, your concerns. Um, you know, for members of my family, um, uh, for Keisha, who, since we were at Methodist Hospital, uh, we kind of use it as leverage and because she has relationships with people in the, in the hospital upper management and people like Kim, um, yeah, you know, me and Kim, we, we bonded. Yeah, we bonded. 
Yeah. You know, when you're in pain, you don't care who helped you. You just need help. You're in pain, and you need a bath taken. And in normal situations, you won't need nobody close to you but old Kim. <laughs> Where's she at? You can't tell people what you sing. We covenant brothers and sisters now. <laughs> Nothing you can do about it. Amen. <laughs> we brothers and sisters, and none you can do about it. I needed a bath, and she's a nurse practitioner, and this is what she did. She was just too, she was like, I got her. No, no, no. But you needed a bath, and so you just, you know, just. Let people take your bath. <laughs> I told you that I had no idea when I was going to wake up from the anesthesia from surgery that I was going to wake up in the intensive care unit. I didn't know that it, somehow that information um, was not necessarily left on my front doorstep. And I didn't know I was going to wake up with tubes in my chest, one over my heart and one in my lung, my right lung. So much so when I knew that the nurse practitioner who works at St. Jude, when she looked shocked, I was shocked. Because the tube that was touching, that was in my right lung, was so close to my back that it began to trigger severe uh, back spasms. And the nurses, they didn't, they didn't think I was having back spasms until they looked at my back and it looked like the Hulk because the muscles were just moving and just moving and I could, it, I was, it was in a state of paralysis. Nobody didn't know what to do. I, I just couldn't move and, and old Kim, came in one evening. I don't know where she got this special lotion from. It was some calming lotion. You got something in it to make you sleepy or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm serious. Y'all think I'm laughing. She came and she started massaging my back and so everybody was on 24-hour massage my back duty. You couldn't stop because if you stopped, then it was just a severe pain. The heart is the most vital organ in the body. Because at every moment of the day, the heart is pumping life into every other space, every other organ in your body. And on on May the 18th, 2017, around 4 o'clock, my faith was put on trial because I, my heart, I felt my heart was under attack. What I didn't tell you last week 
that's important that I tell you now is that yes, when I was taken to the the step-down ICU and they told me I needed to go there because I needed, my body needed to recover from the trauma that it experienced. Yes, that's true. And yes, when I got to um, the step-down ICU, everything was seemingly well. Took my vitals, everything was fine. I think it may be the third day or second day or something that I was in the, in the step-down ICU that you know, Keisha was there trying to get her sermon prepared. You can kind of say it was selfish, but, you know, it's fine. I'm just joking. I'm just joking, y'all. I, I invited her, too, because I needed to take my mind off the pain. But she was leaving to go pick up her daughter. And so Kim said, you need to go downstairs. Everyone in the nurse said, you need to go downstairs. You need to walk around. Your heart needs um, movement. You need to strengthen your heart. And so we go downstairs. It wasn't far. Then we walk and we see Keish. We see Sis on out the door. And we're coming back up the stairs or up the elevator. We get to my room. And I go and use the restroom, and after that, I wash my hands, because that's what you're supposed to do after you (laughs) use the restroom. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror, but I I distinctly realized that something wasn't right. Something didn't feel right. But I also didn't want to alarm, as I told you last week, I didn't want to alarm Kim because Kim, I knew, was going to overreact. And I didn't know if what was going on was worth overreacting. I didn't know maybe I was just out of breath because they said you would be tired. And so I walk outside of the room because I can't walk anywhere without Kim right there beside me. And so I look at Kim in her eyes and I think for a moment, do I say something? Are you just being weak? Are you overreacting? You're okay. You're a champ. You play football. You're tough. You're good. But then I said to, to Kim, I said, something doesn't feel right. Then I saw her alarm, which then made me more alarmed. Um, she said, what? Well, I said, I don't know. I then... A couple minutes later, I said, I need you to call the nurses in here. I need the nurses to come. And so I sit down, and the nurses come, and I tell them I don't feel right. So they take my vitals. I told you this last week. And they left. They said, I'm fine. And so Kim is looking at me after they left. And it's just me and her. And I'm looking up at her, and, I, and now there's tears welling in my eyes because... I know something ain't right. And I said, I need you to call the nurses back in here because something isn't right. She called the nurses back in. The nurses were very cavalier, not disrespectful, but cavalier. They, they, they didn't take my 
my situation. They weren't handling it with urgency. And I knew that because Kim was frustrated. And so I told them that my chest, I know it's numb and it's hard to feel, but my left side of my chest where my heart is feels different than the right side of my chest. I need somebody to explain to me what's going on. I don't feel right. And, and, I'm, and, I, and I couldn't explain to them that my vision is getting blurry. I'm getting dizzy. I can't stand up. My heart is beating fast. Something feels crazy. Can someone please just get to the bottom of it? And I asked him, call the doctor. There's no doctor on this side. Everything is all right. You know, we, we, we let your doctor know, and he said that he would be on his way. There was no sense of urgency. I was going in and out. Kim was looking worried. But I couldn't tell Kim what was on my mind. Because for the first time in my life, I felt like I was about to die. I've been trapped underneath an 18-wheeler in a convertible vehicle, and I had to be transported by the helicopters to the med. I woke up after gaining consciousness and still didn't feel this type of fear. I've been lost in a foreign country 10,000 miles away by myself not knowing where I was going and how to get back to where I had come from. And I didn't feel a fear like this. Even when they, when things were going on in my eyesight and my body and I had to go from one doctor to 32 different physicians and no one still knew what was going on inside of my body before they diagnosed me with myasthenia gravis, I didn't have this type of fear. I'd never been this terrified before, but I couldn't tell Kim this is what was going on in my mind. Nobody was taking my issue serious. And so I did the only thing I could think to do I called the first five people that were on my, on, 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 my, on my radar. I called my sister. I texted her. I don't know what I told her because I don't even remember calling her. Kim had to get the phone or text. I don't remember. And I think she was talking to my sister trying to explain and my sister thinking, oh, you know, he's, you know, he's, just, he's being his, his normal overreacting self. I think Kim convinced her, no, he's not overreacted. I called Charlie. said, stop what you're doing. Text, come now. I told Kim, Kim, I need you to call Keisha. Tell her that she needs to turn around and come back to the hospital. I called Danny. Danny hadn't even been to the hospital. He don't know what hospital I'm in. I called him. I don't even know how I got him on the phone. That's how out of it I was. 
not because I had drugs in my system. I'm perfectly fine. I don't know how Danny got to the, got to the hospital from Cordova in about seven minutes. We knew he broke some laws. <laughs> I ain't trying to get my brother in trouble with the law no more. But we knew he broke some laws to get there. I don't even know how he found the, the he was in Cordova when I called him seven minutes later. He's upstairs in the room with, with us. And he told me that he, he was just driving like a bat, you know, out of, you know, the rest of it. But I was convinced in my mind that if we do not, if they do not take my matter serious, we don't get to the bottom of this. When they leave me and I'm all alone and I go to sleep, I'm not going to wake up. I was terrified. I called those five people not because I wanted company at the hospital. They thought, man, just come and pray. You know, they thought, I just, no, I called those five people because I needed to get my affairs in order. Because I was convinced that my job here was done. I didn't know this is how I was going to leave. I thought it would have been 10, 20, 30 other different ways, not me in the hospital telling y'all to check on me and y'all won't check on me. I'm crying. I'm emotional. I'm trying to be strong for the people around me. I'm trying to be the pastor, but the pastor and every, everything left. I ain't need no scripture. No, I could hear no scripture. I know you you mean, but you're the one that always talk. I know I talk about faith. I talk about a lot, but none of that mattered in this moment. You can rebuke me. You can ridicule me. I'm just telling you the truth. And so at this moment, I'm trying to get my affairs in order. I won't ever see my this community again. And and I thought that was so I'm I surrendered. I threw in the white towel. This is how it all ends. So I need these five people to get here so I can tell Keisha, I can tell Danny, this is what I want you to communicate to, to my people. This is what I want you to share. I need you all to be able to take the mantle and keep on going. I hate this is how I'm leaving. Because there was something wrong and nobody was listening. Y'all. Your pastor lost his mind. My faith, my faith was on trial and I forfeited the fight. I had given up. The most important thing, the most important tool you have in your possession today the most important possession, the most important tool you have with you right now is your mind. This is why the enemy is always trying to attack your mind. Because if he can infiltrate your mind, he can infiltrate your home. 
If he can infiltrate your mind, he can infiltrate your finances. If he can infiltrate your mind, he can infiltrate your career. If the enemy can infiltrate your mind, he can infiltrate your relationships. Because the enemy wants to infiltrate your mind so that he can set up these projector screens and project onto your life lies that he wants you to believe. But if you can, Isaac, just get your mind under control. If you can take back your mind, if you can get your mind under control, you can get your finances under control. If you get your mind under control, you can get your career under control. If you get your mind under control, your home will come under control. If you can just get your mind under control. Your relationships will fall in line. This is why your mind is always under attack. And here I am, I'm crying, I'm hyperventilating, I'm losing it because I'm about to leave this place. This is how I die. Everybody trying to pray, I'm not listening to y'all. Y'all, y'all can't, I, I can't hear nothing y'all are saying. I have forfeited. Yeah, the one who preaches, the one who pastors, the one who shepherds, the one who gives you all the counsel. Yet that one, he, the right moment, the right situation, the enemy got me. And then Charlie looked at me in my eyes. Charlie said, look at me. This is what Charlie said. Look at me. Listen, I need you to remain vigilant. I need you to understand that the enemy only attacks. Look at me, look at me. I need you to understand that the enemy only attacks where there is a harvest. Look at me, look at me, look at me. You are strong. No, look, look at me. You are powerful. God is doing a good work in your hands. Look at me. He did not bring you this far to leave you right here. This is what Charlie said. The enemy is trying to attack your mind, Isaac. Because he sees the harvest is coming. Don't give up now. The enemy is trying to confuse you. And right at that moment, when Charlie said, the enemy is trying to confuse you, I, be I, I began, nobody knew this conversation or this, this monologue was taking place. I shook, I shook, I shook out of it. It's a real story, real story. I said, God, God, I started coming to my senses. I started wiping my eyes. Trying to catch my breath. I said, Isaac, I had to talk to myself because sometimes you need to be your own encourager. Sometimes you can't wait for the pastor. You can't wait for your boo. You can't wait for somebody on the phone. Sometimes, as the Bible teaches, you need to encourage your own self. Isaac, 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 snap the expletive out of it. Yeah, that's how, that's how this conversation went with Isaac. 
Desperate times calls for desperate measures. Isaac snapped the expletive out of it. I was like, Isaac, get your stuff together. The enemy tried to trick you. Calm down. You still got work to do. You still got a church to plant. You still got some books to write. You still got some disciples to develop. You still got seeds in your hands that have not yet become the harvest and you're about to give it to the enemy for free. I need you to get your mind together. And so, and so here I am, I'm encouraging myself because there are seeds in my life that I have not sown yet, that have not become the harvest, and yet I'm about to throw in the towel and give the enemy my harvest for free. Snap out of it. The enemy is trying to trick you. And if those words were able to somehow shift me, shake me, get me back to my senses, then I knew right then, right there, sitting or laying in that bed that I need to package this message for someone else. I know this is unorthodox. This is not your usual approach to the Bible message that you come to church to get, but this is what God wanted me to give you. I need you to snap out of it. The enemy only attacks where there is a harvest. The enemy is trying to infiltrate your mind. And I need you to understand that you have some seeds that have not become the harvest. And don't give the enemy your harvest too soon. The enemy can't have what you got. Your broken marriage, your career, your children your home, your health, your mind, don't give it to the enemy. The enemy is trying to confuse you. And I just, at that moment, I got these five people around me. They were no longer here so that they could share a message to share with you all. This is my cheerleaders now. We, we, you know, I shifted the purpose of the people who are now around me because right now I'm talking to myself right now. I'm thinking about how do I get out of this bed and how do I now get back into the position so that I can share with people what, what, what God wants me to have for them. When Charlie spoke these words to me and encouraged me, and challenged me to look at who I am. I'm strong. I didn't feel strong. I'm powerful. I didn't even look powerful. I had things that God is trying to do through my hands, but it didn't feel like it. But I need you to understand the enemy is trying to trick you because the enemy, enemy's only goal is to attack where there is a harvest. And, and when, when Charlie was speaking to me, then all of a sudden Gideon, and, Jew, and Judges chapter 6 came to my mind. Because for your homework, you will understand that in Judges chapter 6, the Bible teaches us that, that the Israelites had been under oppression, been oppressed by the Midianites for seven whole years. 
And every year when their harvest was beginning to come and they were about to take their harvest, the Bible teaches us in Judges chapter 6 that the Midianites will get on their horses and then they will come and they will come into town and the Bible teaches us that they would destroy the harvest. Every year, every time the harvest season came, the enemy would come not to steal the harvest, take the harvest, eat the harvest, but the enemy would come only to destroy and ruin the harvest so that the Israelites had nothing to eat. And if they could not eat, then they were on the brink of starvation. But the Bible says in Judges chapter 6, when you look closely, that the Midianites, they would come into town, but the Bible says that they would camp among the people in the town. But the Bible also says that the people in the town, they were so afraid, they were operating out of fear so much so that they found hiding places in caves and inside of strongholds inside of the mountain areas. So they left their territory vacant so that the enemy didn't have to put up a fight. So when the enemy came and the enemy capped in the town, the enemy could just take all of the spoil, all of the harvest and destroy the harvest. So they had nothing to eat in the town that they were in all the way to Gaza. They would destroy all of the crops. They would take all of the animals so that Israelites had nothing to eat. They were on the brink of starvation. But when you keep on reading, reading Judges chapter 6, not only were the people in the town afraid, therefore they were hiding inside of the mountains, allowing a free space for the Midianites to come and to, to, to take over the land and to destroy all the crops. But the Bible says that there was a man by the name of Gideon. When we find him in Judges chapter 6, the Bible says that he's located inside of the basement, inside of the wine press, and he is threshing wheat. He is threshing the crops. He is threshing the harvest. And the Bible says he was doing that because he was trying to hide the harvest. He's trying to hide the harvest. Because he know the enemy is coming to steal or to destroy the harvest. And so he's hiding the harvest. And then the Bible says. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord comes. Right there. The oak tree at Ophrah. Approaches Gideon. And then says mighty man of valor. Mighty warrior, mighty hero, I got work for you to do. Gideon looked around. Clearly you're not talking to me. Because if you were who you said you were, we wouldn't be going through all this. Mighty warrior, I need you to lead these people out of oppression. Um, I'm not a mighty warrior. If you look at my family, my family is the least of all of the different tribes. And if you look at my particular family, my particular clan, I, and if you look at me, I'm the least in all of my entire family. I couldn't possibly be a mighty man of valor. I couldn't possibly be who you have called, who you're calling me, who you're saying I am. The Lord said, I need you to go in the strength that I've already given you. 
and I need you to lead your people out of oppression. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. That was the Isaac Curry paraphrase version. (laughs) I'm sitting there in the hospital room. I've literally lost control of my thinking. I cannot capture my thoughts. I can't get my mind under control. I have totally relinquished all fight. I have surrendered because my heart's under attack. When your heart's under attack, you'll start having some crazy conversations. When things are going on with your heart, you'll give up a whole lot. But when somebody told me, you are powerful, you are courageous, you are strong, the Lord didn't bring you this far to leave you. I'm talking to somebody in here. The Lord didn't bring you this far to leave you. You are powerful. You are strong. It might not look like it. It might not feel like it. And even looking at Judges chapter 6 where it seems like the enemy is running rapid all in your life, I'm trying to encourage you today. Because even when we look at Judges chapter 6, the Bible teaches us that the Midianites were running rapid. They were running rapid in the lives of the Israelites. But let me help you. When the enemy is running rapid in your life, it's because of one of two things. One, you're out of position. You've been hiding. You're hiding. Two, it's because you have a harvest that he wants. If the enemy, if you can find the fingerprint of the enemy somewhere in your life, It's because, one, you are out of position. And I need someone to understand, even when we look at Judges chapter 6, Gideon was out of position. The people were out of position. He was not operating in the calling that God had on his life. And when you find yourself hiding... You, set, you, give, you give the right environment, you set up the right situation so that the enemy has, has the, the, the ability to run rapid in your life. But maybe you have a harvest, something that the enemy sees and the enemy wants. Therefore, you can detect the enemy in your life. But this is what I learned and I give this to you and I bid you a farewell. This is what I learned. This is what I learned when it comes when it comes to the fact that my faith was on trial. This is what I learned. Number one, when your faith is on trial. It's because your harvest is on schedule. I need you to write that down. I need you you to put it on your on your on your refrigerator. I need you to put it on your notebook. I need you to put it as a screensaver. I need you to remind yourself every day when your faith is put on trial. It's because your harvest is right on schedule. 
And, 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 and what I had to understand at this moment that I'm sitting here in this hospital bed, you know what? My faith is on trial. I know the enemy sees my harvest because my harvest is, is in plain sight. I'm not hiding my harvest because the harvest wasn't meant to hid, to hide. But your harvest is right on schedule. Therefore, your faith needs to be put on trial. But the second thing, don't get too excited because you know your faith, you know your harvest is on schedule. But the second thing I learned is that your harvest will always attract people who don't want to see you embrace it. You might want to write that one down too. Your harvest will always attract people who don't want to see you embrace it. Because when I look at the text, there is one operative word that stands out to me that upsets me, but it just, because it, it, what is the movement in the text? What is it that attracts me to the text? What attracts me to this text, the one movement that makes so much sense to me is when it says, whenever. Whenever they planted their crops. Whenever, which means that the enemy attacking you is conditional. The, many, the enemy's attack on your life is based on what you're doing. If you're not doing anything, you ain't got to worry about the enemy attacking. So whenever the people of God, you can trust me, I'm, trust me, I'm biblical, trust me, it's in the Bible, trust me, it's in Judges chapter 6. All you got to do is read verses 1 through 16 and you'll get everything that I'm telling you. But it says, whenever, and when I saw that word, whenever, I knew the Lord needed me to share it with you. Because even if I don't talk about anything else, the fact that we have some whenevers. Whenever they planted their crops, that's when the Midianites and the people of the east came and they tried to, they, 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 they didn't steal. That was the thing that got me. They didn't steal the crops. They didn't steal the harvest. The Bible says they had only one goal, strip the land bare. They wanted to ruin the harvest. They did not want to see them enjoy and embrace the harvest. You have to be careful because your harvest will always attract people who do not want to see you embrace it. What are you saying, preacher? I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible also said that they camped among them. And then they destroyed it, which meant that if I look at this text, if the Bible says that they camped among them and then they also destroyed it. But the Bible also says that Gideon was down in the wine press threshing wheat. But the Bible also says that the people were living in the mountains. They were hiding. If Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press, that means that not everybody is hiding in the mountains. So there's still people inside of the towns. And so if there are people inside of the towns where the Bible also says that they're hiding and that they're camping among the people as well, and then they would destroy the town, then this meant that the people who were camping, they were not always detectable. You could not always recognize the people who were camping among you. So everyone who is camping with you is not rooting for you. You can take that one for free. And that's the hard truth that I had to learn, that everyone who is camping among you is not rooting for you. 
The Bible says that they, 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 they camped among them and then they destroyed the land. Your harvest, what God is trying to do in your life, the blessings that God has specifically on your life that has only your fingerprint on it, you have to understand, don't be mad when it happens. Don't get uh, upset when people are talking about you, Isaac, when people don't agree with you and people turn their backs on you. Don't get mad because you got to understand that your harvest will always attract people who are not there for you. They're there camping among you, but they're not rooting with you. What do you mean? I'm saying they're people who are on your sidelines cheering, but they're cheering only during the playoffs. They were never there even during the regular season and the preseason. And you got to recognize that sometimes you get people who are only on the sidelines cheering, but they're only part-time cheers. They're only there when it's something that can benefit them. Your harvest. I think Ferdy called it harvest problems. I wanted to call it this. I wanted to call this sermon, this sermon harvest problems, but I didn't want to bite too hard. So I just had to, you know, my faith. The day my faith was put on on trial. I'm sitting there in the hospital bed. I lost my mind. I surrendered. I'm about to die. This is how I leave here. So much I wanted to do. And sometimes you need people in your circle who just tell you the truth. Hey, you are strong. The enemy's trying to trick you. I need you to snap out of it. Yeah, you know what? I still got some seeds that hadn't become the harvest yet. And I can't just be giving it away to the enemy like that. Your harvest will always attract people who don't want to see you enjoy it. But there's something else I learned. I learned that don't allow your inner critic to decide what you do with your harvest. Don't allow your inner critic to decide what you do with your harvest. Don't allow your inner critic to decide what you do with your harvest. Don't allow your inner critic to decide or determine the value and the worth of your harvest. Because your harvest, your blessings are too valuable to be hidden. Because when we look at this text, the Bible says that Gideon is in the wine press hiding the harvest. God didn't bless you with what he blessed you with so it can remain hidden. And some of you, you got the harvest in your back pocket. You don't want to pull it out. Some of you have the harvest at home. God has blessed you with some things for some other people to be able to benefit from your blessings. But you are hiding your harvest. Gideon, 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 why are you in the wine press? Why are you in the wine press hiding your harvest? Because while he was hiding his harvest, hiding his harvest was premeditating his disappointment. He's hiding his harvest. Your inner critic would tell you your harvest isn't as valuable as it really is. That inner voice that's always speaking the negatives will out-talk. Will ha- Isaac, your inner critic, 
You allow the enemy to convince you, and now you're about to, you, you're about to hide your heart. You're about to give up. You're about to relinquish everything. I'm saying to you, you have an inner critic that you do not need to listen to. There is a harvest that needs to be shown, and you need to get in position. You don't need to hide it. Your harvest was never meant to be hid. What God is doing in your life needs to be on display. Because what God is doing in your life, your blessings is supposed to bless other people, not just yourself. Gideon. Gideon is down in the wine press, threshing wheat so he can hide his harvest. But God didn't want him to hide his harvest. God wanted him to get in position. That's why God showed up to the scene. And when God shows up to the scene, this is what we learn. God always expects a return on his investment. That's point number four. Because God looked, God looked at, 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 at Gideon. And God knew that he planted a seed inside of Gideon. But Gideon's life was not producing the harvest. Gideon, I planted a seed inside of you. I encoded inside of your seed, inside of your DNA, who you are going to become. And your life doesn't look like what it needs to. So I need to show up. And I need to speak over your life. And so that's why he says, hey, mighty warrior, who, who, me? Charlie, hey, you're strong, who, me? I'm not, can, don't you see me crying? Don't you see me? I don't know. What you mean? I'm strong. I, I, I'm not possibly strong, but but sometimes you need people to speak over your life. And so God shows up and God says, you're a mighty warrior. There is a seed on the inside of you and, and, and it's need to come to harvest. And I'm coming to collect my dividends on what I've invested inside of you. And, and it comes a time in your life. When God shows up because God expects dividends on what he has invested inside of you. There is a seed, there's some seeds inside of you, and the question is, are you allowing them to come to harvest? Are you becoming and being the person that God has called you to be? Mighty warrior. Who? Me? Yeah, you. I got a work for you to do. Because Gideon is hiding in the wine press. He's hiding in the basement. Why, you ask me? I'm going to tell you why. Because the enemy had successfully infiltrated his mind. And the enemy set up projector screens and began to project onto Gideon's life all the lies that he wanted Gideon to believe. And Gideon believed that he couldn't be anything other than what he had come from. He already had his excuses prepackaged. Well, you know, my family has always been like this. You know, we ain't never. Lord said, I don't want to hear that because what I have inside of you is much greater than your excuses. And many of us were still holding on to what had happened to you. And what someone did to you. And God is showing up because God expects a return on his investment. He has planted some seeds on the inside of you. And don't get mad when, when your faith is on trial. Because it needs to be put on trial. Yeah. I had to look at the enemy. I had to talk to the enemy. I said, enemy, you almost had me. 
but almost isn't good enough. You should have finished me when you had a chance. There's going to come a time when your faith will stand trial. If not now, it will. Something you've been hoping for didn't work out the way you expected. Your faith is on trial. Someone who said that they loved you turns out they betrayed you. Your faith is on trial. You're next in line for this promotion, but yet they get somebody else who is not even as qualified as you. Faith on trial. You've been asking God, Lord, I need you to come through. I've been doing everything I need to, and it seems like God is on mute. Faith on trial. Maybe you have a sickness, and maybe you had to have surgery, and you still don't know if it even works. Faith on trial. But when your faith is on trial, number one, don't run. Number two, don't hide. Number three, get your thinking under control. Number four, step into your position. Number five, Move out of the way and allow God to do what God is supposed to do. I'll say it again. This wasn't no deep. Those ain't deep points. It's just, just very simple. Don't run. Don't hide. Get your mind, your thinking under control. Get into position, or better yet, Step into you, who you are, not who you think you are. Step in, get into position, step into who you are, not who you think you are. Who you are, not who you think you are. Number five, move out of the way. Allow God to show you who he is. The many other things that I plan to share with you, I was going to do a four-part series, but the way the, the summer months went, I just kind of broke it up. But you'll hear more about, um, you'll hear more about my time woven in some sermons. Because there's some things that I believe God wants to share with you through my experience. And I'm not going to give this one to you, but, you know, I always wear those wristbands, all those stretchy band things that get those names on it, you know. Uh, Keisha laughing, but yeah, the, Lord, the Lord got a message for y'all because I was wearing one that was all colorful, you know, go with my clothes, you know. Just, you know, it's a fashion statement. I forget where I got it from, but it had some name on it. And I didn't know what the name meant, you know. I'm about to go through surgery. And that name that was on that fancy, you know, colorful wristband that was a fashion statement for me, it's, it, had, it was a medical term that signaled to the nurses and to the physicians that this is how you needed to treat me. Because it meant that I had some blood disease. Be careful of the labels that you wear. Yeah, that ain't even part of the sermon, so make sure you don't have that in the video. Yes, it's not in there. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
I still had to preach it. Y'all, it's just fine. You know, look, um, look, pray for me. Um, pray for this community. Um, summer months are always hard for me because it's always transitional periods. We're always searching uh, for new leaders, empowering new people. And the truth of the matter is I'm just not content. I'm not content with 160, 75 people coming on Sunday. Uh, there are too many more seats. There's too much more ministry. There are too many more lives to, to meet. There are too many of you all that still need to be touched. There are too many of you all who still need to help to stand up and to be empowered and to do ministry alongside me for this season. And so it's my prayer that God speaks to you because if you need to be doing something, you need to stop making excuses and you need to start doing something. If you feel it's something you need to do on another part of the church, do it. If that means you have to shift, shift. I need you to be obedient. I don't need you just to do something because it helps me out. That's selfish. I want you to grow. But many of you, your growing needs to be right here. And let me say this. If y'all can't have a misunderstanding with me without leaving, then y'all ain't helping me out. I need people around me who have had some misunderstandings with me, like Keisha. You know, like, we've had misunderstandings. Yeah. I make her sick. It's cool. <laughs> you see how that works? You know? Um, Kim? Yeah, I know when I get on her nerves. Mm-hmm. Me and Caroline, we don't have disagreements. We never have disagreements. We good, you know, you know, just on this plan. Listen, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his countenance to shine upon you. May the Lord empower you as you leave from here. You don't allow today's message, whatever it may be, to just be taken away by the enemy. It is my prayer that something was said to help you today, tomorrow, and for the rest of this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.